This is part seven of a seven-part series on the Bible, and I'm excited to, uh, to bring this message here for you today. I want to open with a quick story. Um, I was in my office late one night. For this series, we've been doing a lot of handouts, a lot of extra inserts, and so I was slicing some of those, and we've got this great slicer at our office now. Um, it can slice like 500 at once. So here's a picture. I keep it on my wallpaper because it's such a great, no, anyway, here's a picture of it. Okay, so I'm, I'm doing some slicing, and there's that, you see in the center of that device, there's that black arm. What that does is that holds the, the paper in place so that you can get it to the right size. And you have to crank down that knob to, to hold it, okay? So I, I ran some copies, I sliced them, I went back to get the second page of notes, send it from my, my printer, and this is what it looked like when I came back. Now here's why this is strange. It was strange because I was the only one in the office. It was late at night. I think I'd probably even locked the door at that point to just say, hey, we're closed, you know, I, I got to finish this stuff. And, and, and so it happened. So in my mind, where my mind first went was, that's just strange. I must have just moved it without thinking about it. But what got really strange is I set it back like this, twisted it down, and then I came back again, and it was like this. And, and so I just kind of laughing in my head. I'm like, that is just weird. Am I monkeying with the thing? Is it spring-loaded or whatever? I just never had that happen before. Melissa, you ever had that happen before? When you work with it, it just kind of switches back by itself? No? Okay. So it's just really, really weird. But l let me t explain why I'm saying this. I'm saying this because my mind naturally goes to natural explanations. My mind naturally goes, there must be a reasonable explanation for this. My mind naturally goes to, there must have been um, some something that matches my experience, you know? So that's where my mind naturally goes. But even as I say that, I remain open to the idea that there are some things that appear to defy purely naturalistic explanations. I wouldn't put this in the category. Something happened. That I just don't know what it was. But there are some things that seem to defy naturalistic explanations. There are mysteries regarding the origin of life that even the best scientific minds must make a huge leap of faith in order to explain. There are some behaviors that appear to be absolutely evil. There are others that appear to be absolutely good, which is really difficult apart from an absolute standard. There are also accounts of miraculous events and supernatural encounters, and they come from too many credible sources, and they're way too widespread to just categorically dismiss them all. May I present to you that the Jewish people had a book, and nobody had a book like theirs. This collection of carefully vetted documents that they had, it spoke to life's great questions, life's big questions. And beyond that, it offered them unparalleled guidance for life. It was a book that held them together when they lost everything else. If you have your Bible with you, let's open to one of those documents. We have a collection, that collection of documents. We've got it. We call it our Old Testament. Let's take a look at, at how the Jewish people on their best days, how they approached these words. They didn't just see these as any documents. These were holy to them. This is from the book of Joshua, chapter 8. It reads, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous. Then you will be successful. 
the testimonies and the poetry and the prophecies and the stories and the historical records that were once written on their scrolls, they're available to us. We call it the Old Testament. And then in the fullness of time, an unlikely figure stepped into their world. He lived with an integrity that even his greatest critics couldn't criticize. There had never been another man like Jesus of Nazareth. The claim that Jesus' life sent shockwaves throughout the world defines the term understatement. I want to show you something. I don't think I've showed you this before. Within 150 years of their respective overlapping lives, look at this. The Roman emperor, the emperor of the known world at the time, he appears in 10 sources. So there's 10 ancient sources that testify to the existence of the Roman emperor. How many sources, ancient sources, written within 150 years of their lives, testify to Jesus of Nazareth? 43. What was it about this obscure Jewish peasant that created such shock waves? Something happened. 2,000 years ago, that forever changed the world. And those events were so significant. These things that happened in the Middle East were so significant that these people of the book who had this collection of scriptures, they added to that collection. We call it the New Testament. They added narratives. They added letters that testified to the life to the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. And they held these new teachings with the utmost regard. Here's an example of that. This comes from an ancient letter, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, that's included in those documents. All scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to ask you to write something down. We have a green insert, and you can take notes in there. I want to write, ask you to write this down. Christians have always been a people of the book. They've always been a people of the book. In the tradition of those who've gone before us, for the last six weeks, we've been examining both the Old and the New Testaments. We've examined their origins. We've discussed their accuracy, and we've commented on their authority. Today is rubber meets the road Sunday. All right, I did the best job I could for six weeks. We don't normally spend six weeks on one topic. Did the best I could for six weeks of, of, of addressing these things. So now it's rubber meets the road Sunday. Here's a rubber meets the road question. Which of the following best describes your personal engagement with the Bible? Not what you hope it would be right now. And I won't ask for a show of hands, but if I did and you had to pick one of these, which would you raise your hand for? When it comes to your personal engagement with the Bible, none, random, sporadic, or intentional. If I had to say, raise your hand for one. If you're right on the fence, which way would you lean? Think about which one you would raise your hand for. In week one of this series, I referenced these statistics that just kind of show how the, the role that the Bible plays in people's lives. According to Barna Research Team, only 9% of American adults have a biblical worldview. Now, that's defined by their, their own research group. That number drops to less than one-half of 1% 1 of adults ages 18 to 23. So if you're one of the 
or the 99.5% who aren't looking to the Bible as your go-to, it's my hope, it's been my hope for this series that you consider becoming more Christ-like in how he approached the scriptures because Jesus read scripture and he memorized scripture and he quoted scripture and he taught scripture and he abided by scripture and he fulfilled scripture. And when he fulfilled scripture, his followers then took these new scriptures and in addition to the Old Testament, this new collection of scriptures, they began to do the same with those texts. However, as history passed and the Jesus movement grew, Elements within this movement have attempted to redefine the role that these scriptures should play in our lives. Let me give you an example. My first full-time job was in a church called First United Methodist in New Ulm, Minnesota. How many have been to New Ulm, Minnesota? All right. Our church, Center and Broadway, that brick one right there in the middle of town. That was my church right out of college. So, so I was there at Center and Broadway right in the middle of town, and, and I was new to the Methodist denomination, so I kind of got the orientation. Now, this may be different. Maybe different Methodists will teach this thing. I'm going to teach you different ways. Here's how it was taught to me. I was taught about John Wesley because John Wesley was the most influential um, person in the development of the, the Methodist domination. He was an 18th century evangelist. And the people taught me about the Wesleyan quadrilateral. They said, this is how you interpret Scripture. All right? So number one on this quadrilateral, these four things, you've got Scripture. But the way you interpret Scripture is you look at, well, what has the, taught, the church taught about the church, about the Scripture in the past? Three reason, then you use your own reason, and then you use, number four, your own experience. So you use numbers two, three, and four to interpret number one. Well, 23 years later, as I'm preparing for this series, I found out Wesley he didn't have something that he called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. That, came, that was developed by a guy two centuries after Wesley. Now, did Wesley reference these things? Yes. But Wesley, he described himself personally. He said, I'm a man of, quote, one book. I'm a man of one book. And by the one book, he meant the Old Testament and the New Testament. He meant the scriptures. And yep, I, I, I don't have any doubt that he... he held value to everything on that list, but, but he believed reason, experience, and tradition had their place. He believed that the scriptures help you make sense out of tradition, reason, and experience, more so than the other way around. N.T. Wright puts it like this. I love N.T. Wright. He writes this. He says, scripture, tradition, reason, experience, they're not so much like apples, pears, and oranges as much as they're like apples, elephants, and screwdrivers. They're not just all equal things that you can kind of all sort out. Historically, the people of God have looked first and foremost to the scriptures as our standard for belief and conduct. Tradition is important, but the people of God have been intentional about, I need to dive in myself. I can't just accept the party line. I can't just accept what the church officials are telling me. I need to dig in myself. Reason and experience are important. They keep you from coming up with weird ideas about paper cutters, right? They help keep me grounded. I don't just go, ah, what happened here? You know, demon come out of the paper cutter. And no, I stop my muscle, just, you know, whatever, right? Okay, you don't just go ballistic, okay? They, they're good. They help you stay grounded. But the people of God recognize our reason and our experience are limited. 
My little mind can only reason so much. My experience, when you compare it to the experience of the world throughout all generations, it is a tiny dot. So my reason is experience. Your reason, your, my reason is limited. Your reason is limited. My experience is limited. Your experience is limited. Once you start deviating from the scriptures, once you start freestyling with the faith, you run the risk of developing a composite God, a composite creator, a composite son, and a composite spirit. Beyond any other source, Christians look to the scriptures as our standard for belief and conduct. The Apostle Paul, a man, if there was anyone who was ever Christ-like, it was the Apostle Paul. He wrote this, he said in Galatians 1.8, if even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, the one that these testimonies, the New Testament testify to. If we preach something else, let them be under God's curse. So if you aren't reading Paul's words for yourself, if you're just, I'm, I'm just listening to what a podcast person says about it or what a blogger writes about it or whatever, if you're not reading it yourself, if you're just passing what you're hearing through your own tradition filters and your own reason filters and your own... Uh, experience filters, there's going to be a whole lot of stuff getting through that maybe shouldn't. There's going to be a whole lot of stuff that gets caught that maybe shouldn't. And what might end up happening, you might be embracing things that Jesus never commanded and things that Jesus never modeled and taught. So let me ask you this question. Are you a reader? Are you a reader? And I don't just mean in general, specifically of this book. As we bring this series to a close, are you a reader? Now, we're part of what's called the Covenant Family of Churches, and one of the things that attracted me to the Covenant, because I didn't know what the Covenant was. Coven sounds like witches. You know, I'm like, what is this Covenant thing, right? I, so I didn't know what it was. One of the things that attracted me was how they revere the Word of God. They revere it. And quick pause on, on this. Um, next week, we've invited the superintendent from what's called our Northwest Conference to come and speak. And so we only do this about once a year. We bring in somebody from the Covenant. We would love for you to come and, and to hear so you can start to know these folks a little bit more. So it's not like that thing, but it's, these people that we're in, in community with. Okay, so that's going to happen next week. But anyway, the, the covenant. Those who founded the covenant back in the 1800s, they were called readers, and it was kind of a derogatory term. You readers. Because they weren't just following the party line. Everyone in Sweden, they, our ancestors of this movement came from Sweden, and everyone in Sweden had to be Lutheran. And they called them you readers because they didn't just do what the Lutheran pastors said. They actually took the Bible and read it themselves. They did crazy things like letting women speak their opinions on the scriptures. How crazy is that? Come on, at least give me a look, Chelsea, on that one. Like, <laughs> right? Right? Okay. They, they, they did these crazy things. And then what they would do with the scriptures, they'd ask themselves two questions, each other two questions. They'd say, where is it written? And what that question was getting at is if we're going to believe something about God, where is it grounded in the scriptures? Or is this just something you're making up? Right? So where is it written? That, that helped form and shape their understandings or beliefs. Then the other question they said is, how goes your walk? And again, that was in reference to the scriptures. Are you living in accordance to God's ways as they've been handed down to us? Or again, are you just kind of freestyling and making this thing up and doing something that just seems right to you? They believe the best way to know and do the will of God was to become a reader and then to apply what they read to their lives. And what was true for the covenant has been true from God's people from the beginning. We're a people of the book. There's a pastor named David Platt. He's a pastor in Alabama. And he wrote a book called Radical. Many of you said, you've got to read this book, got to read this book. Here's a quote from that, from that book. 
our brothers and sisters around the world often gather at the risk of their lives to hear and know God's word. If you and I are going to join them in radical obedience to Christ, we need to start with our Bibles open and our minds engaged. We have settled too long for Bible light, both as individual Christians and in the community of faith. We've adopted a Christianity consumed with little devotional thoughts from God for the day, supplemented by teaching in the church filled with entertaining stories, trite opinions on how to be a better person and live a better life. Meanwhile, we hold the matchless word of God in our hands. If you and I are going to penetrate our culture and the cultures of the world with the gospel, we definitely need minds that are saturated with God's word. How would it transform your life to let your mind and your spirit be saturated by the word of God day after day? Can I get an amen? Um, I, I'm not much of a blog reader. One, because I just don't have a whole lot of extra time. And, and, and two, because I, because of stuff like this. I guess there was a trending topic among bloggers, Christian bloggers, uh, some time ago, not too long ago, about the whole idea of, they, they coined a phrase called Bible idolatry. And generally what they would do is they, they'd use this phrase Bible idolatry and they'd put it up and against being more like Jesus. I think I understand what's at the heart of what they're trying to do. I think their motivations are good. But can I just say, be very, 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 very careful about writing or forwarding something that puts the Bible up and against Jesus. Be very, very, very careful. Because as I said earlier, Jesus read Scripture. Jesus memorized Scripture. Jesus quoted Scripture. Jesus taught Scripture. Jesus abided by Scripture. And Jesus fulfilled Scripture. And where do we get the most complete understanding of who Jesus is and where Jesus taught? Where do we get that? From the Scripture. Be very, very careful. In fact, I'm going to go this far. If you want to be more Christ-like, Become a reader. If you want to become more Christ-like, become a reader. And let me give you some good news. If you want to start taking steps in that direction, you can write this down. The Bible's never been more accessible. It's never been more accessible. The Bible's never been available in more language or versions or platforms. I should put this disclaimer for us. There are places in the world the Bible is banned Think about that for a second. It's accessible to us, never been more accessible. So as we bring this series to a close, let me offer just a few tips for those of you who would like to become more intentional in your reading. First one is this, gather the right tools. Gather the right tools. This is the easiest one. Gather the right tools. From the beginning of the series, we've given you some recommended resources. It's on that yellow page. Almost every other colored page here has changed a whole lot over the time, but we've, we've got that yellow page. We've got some great things on there. We've got little devotional books. These are copies here. If you want to come take a look at any of these resources, we've got all the, the non-digital uh, ones up here. This is a great little devotional book. Um, this Beginner's Bible is a great one if you want. If you've got little kids and you want to just have a nice little Bible with pictures, you can kind of read some of the stories to your kids. That's a great one. Jesus Storybook Bible, we've been really recommending this one strongly. If you're not familiar with the Bible, read this first. And, and, I'm, and I'm not joking. It helps provide a framework so you can start to see what, what unifies 
this book more than anything else. We have the Adventure Bible uh, in a couple different versions. We recommend this for our kids and kids' church. There's a devotion link to that. Of all the books up here, the one that uh, people have been looking at the most is this one. It's the Action Bible. It's in graphic novel format for, um, for, uh, for kids. It's really good. Um, my, my kids love that one. Uh, my oldest daughter, she's in sixth grade. She loves this. It's called the Quest Study Bible. It's really, it's just um, a Bible written in the uh, NIV translation. But she said, Dad, what I love about this one, the questions that they put on the side here, those are my questions. Those are the questions I'm asking. And so if you've got kind of a uh, person maybe heading into middle school, that could be a good resource. I've got a couple examples to show. I mean, the Bible comes in just about every format, you know, electronic and written there is. And then there's the study Bibles. I am fascinated how much information they can pack into these things. They pack tons of information. And so we've got two that we've been recommending, the ESV study Bible, the NIV study Bible. And then there's three other books at the bottom. If you want to learn more about the unifying themes of the Bible and kind of how it all works together, this book called The Drama of Scripture is a good read for that. Um, if you want to press into the idea of the authority of God, why do we make, look at the Bible as so authoritative, Scripture and authority, God's a great book for that. And um, this was the best one I found as far as a book that talks about how do you read the different parts of the Bible differently. How do you read biblical poetry? How do you read biblical narrative? How do you read biblical prophecy? Because you have to use different lenses for each of those different works. You know, if, if in, as a, an adult or a teen, if you just got a New Living Translation, NIV Study Bible, ESV Study Bible, you have more resources at your fingertips than most people throughout history. You've got three different translations you could compare. You've got some quality study notes that you could look at and say, okay, here are some interpretations of what maybe this meant. You'd be in great shape. But gathering the tools, that's the easy part, right? Finding time to read. Isn't that the harder part? Here's a great quote I came across as I was preparing actually for another series. It's by a guy named Kyle Eidelman. He says, I know what you're thinking. No one's got a surplus of time. We're busier than ever. And he asked the stinging question. He says, fair enough. What are we busy doing? What are we busy doing? We make time for our priorities. If something's important, we find time for it. We make time for it. We push other things aside for it. May I present to you that there are few, if any, priorities that should be higher. If you're a person that's trying to be Christ-like, then engaging the scriptures. So, number two, my tips here, if you want to become a reader, put it on your calendar. You gotta put it on calendar. That's what I have to do when, it, when I don't put it on my calendar. I have great intentions. If I don't put it on my calendar, for me anyway, it rarely happens. It rarely happens. I, I'd imagine you don't have the calendars for just, oh, look, I've got a week with nothing going on. Nothing. I can catch up with my reading. Is that, no. No, that doesn't happen. Put it on your calendar. Block off specific times, dates, places, just as you would another appointment. Now, putting on your calendar might not be enough. It probably won't be enough. That's why I want to give you one more thought here. Think like an influencer. What I mean by that, there's a book that we've referenced before. It's called Influencer. It's a book about the science of change. How does change happen? This is the same guy, that video we showed when he did that test on the kids and the candy. This is that guy. Great book. And he makes the point that, you know, change, you want to get things working for you. You want to get your personal motivation working for you, not against you. You want to get the structure of your life working for you, not against you. And you want to get the social 
pressures working for you, not against you. So let's quickly talk about each. Personal. If you want to become a reader, don't just say, I want to read the Bible more. I should read the Bible more. What's your deeper thing that you're going after? Wrestle with that until you find something that actually motivates you. What is it? Is it you want to be, have an intelligent opinion? Maybe you're skeptical about the scripture, but at least you want to say, you know what? Next time a Christian says, have you read the whole thing? I can say, yes, right? Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's you've never read the whole thing cover to cover. And I want to be, I want to know what it says everywhere. Maybe, maybe there's something else. Try to find what it is. What is your deeper life-giving goal? How would your life be changed? Answer that question. The personal piece is also about right-sizing your goal. Maybe it is. I want to read through the whole thing and become more familiar with the whole thing. Maybe it is. I just want to have a broad understanding. That's a different type of plan. It might be that, you know what? My life is chaos right now. And what I need is just an anchor for my soul. If I can just have a small piece from God's word that I can cling to each day. Or maybe there's a theme that I can explore. Maybe that's what I need. So find what it is that's that deeper personal motivation. Lock onto that. And then the structural piece. The, the structural piece is so important. Calendaring is part of it. Setting aside a specific time. You know, when I was a a teenager, it worked best for me to read at night. Now that I got kids, you know, you never have nights work the way you plan, right? So now morning works best for me. Maybe you have a long commute. Maybe that's a time when you can schedule it in. Maybe you've got a lunch break that you can utilize. Maybe you're a mom and all you got is nap time. You know, whatever we can get, this is what I got, you know? But so that's just part of it. That's just part of it, the structuring of your calendar. But structure is more than that. I mean, I've commented on this before. You know, you go into most of our homes, and we've got this room where there's a television, and then we've got our most comfortable chairs, and we've got place, things that are strategically placed so we can put our beverages and all kind of stuff. And we've got this room that's designed structurally to draw us in, right? And when it comes to social media, structurally, this thing is always talking to you. It's always beeping to you. It's, it's always reminding you. It's telling you exactly, you know, what you're missing out on. You know, I don't know what the equivalent is for you, but find it when it comes to if you want to be a reader. What is it? Is it, is it that you want to get your electronic calendar to say, hey, it's time? And, and you, there are those apps that we recommend. There's some of those apps, they can actually, they'll send you the verse right then. You know, they'll even tell you here if you want to get caught up. It, it, it's just amazing. But for you, it might be, hey, I want to just put, I'm going to put the Bible right there at my um, nightstand. Right? So that it's there, I see it each night. Or I'm going to put it on my desk, you know? First thing in the morning, I'm going to come in early to work, first 15 minutes. So I'm going to put that on my desk so that it's a reminder that, you know, to read. For some of us, you might want to just put it right in front of your TV. Okay, before I turn on the TV and give it an hour, I'm going to give God's word 15 minutes. I don't know what it is, but structurally think about that. Now let's talk about social. Social. What, what's helping to reinforce this in your life socially? We want to try to do that as best we can. One of the things that I hope you hear me saying almost every week is I want to encourage you to get into the Bible yourselves and not just doing, you know, not just believe it because I, 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 I said that or, or just take everything I say without fact, 
checking me, but to dive in. So hopefully you're coming and you're, you're getting that message. Hopefully when you're coming, you're, you're able to get um, some messages that are helpful where we're taking either a topic and we're giving biblical perspective or we're taking a passage and we're unpacking it or something like that. That's one of the reasons why we have these sermon surveys. We try to do something like this each year. We try to get feedback. And I can't do 400. We only have 52 weeks. So I can't do 400 individualized messages. But I look for, for is there overlap? Does it seem like a bunch of people are asking about this area? Because we want to be as helpful as we can socially when we're together of digging into these things. But beyond that, I want to encourage you too to find those people in your life who are encouraging you and reminding you, challenging you to get into the word people you can talk and have two-way discussions with. And if you'd like help with that, let Jennifer know. We'd love to let you know about groups that we have, maybe connect you with some, some people or, or resources. We want to do the best we can so that this book doesn't just feel like something intimidating like it is to some folks, but rather something that, that is understandable. There's a great little passage, Nehemiah 8.8 8 says this. They read from the book of the law, and they were talking about church leaders at this point, leaders in the faith, I should say, um, at this point. They read from the book of the law of God, and then they made it clear, giving the meaning so that people could understand what was being read. You know, find people that can help you with that as well. All right, there is with the case, with the case with any of the series we do, there's always more that could be said, but let me bring this series to a close with this um, little story. Uh, as you become a reader, it is my prayer that you're going to see that this book is different. That, that, that God's word is uniquely present in these words. There was once an American professor who um, went to Oxford to teach there for a year. And we, when he and his wife arrived, they were walking around the campus, and they came to a part of the campus that had some very old buildings, really old. Some of the buildings looked to be ancient and outdated, and in one of these ancient, outdated stone buildings, his wife was surprised because she spotted signs of life. She saw curtains. She saw people moving around. And it really struck her that these buildings that she thought were empty and abandoned, they were full of life. And she, she ended up writing a book called These Ruins Are Inhabited. These ruins are inhabited. And I would imagine as I look out, because I know most of you, you don't look at the Bible as a ruin. But maybe... We're missing out on finding that life, in part because we're not spending as much time with it as we could and exploring it and exploring the different corners that maybe we've never looked at before or maybe taking a resource that helps open up the meaning behind the text uh, in a way that we hadn't before. The Word of God is uniquely present in this collection of ancient testimonies, ancient poetry, ancient prophecy, ancient stories, and ancient historical records. As the, the author of Hebrew writes... The word of God, it is living and it's active and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And as we bring this to a close, I want to pray that we have more of those experiences in the word. So let me pray for you as we go our separate ways. Would you please stand? Let me pray over you as we go. Father, I want to pray for my friends gathered here that, that you would help us to have more of those moments where we come to that, that encounter where we recognize that these words are inhabited that you're present in a unique way in this document, that, unlike anything else. Lord, would you give us more of those moments? Bring your word to life in our lives because we need it. 
We need it as we try to, to order our lives in a world that pulls us so many different directions. We need it in a, in a world where there's so much opinionating going on about everything. We need to encounter you more and more so we can trust this book deeper and deeper. So Lord, help us to take that first step of faith to begin reading this one-of-a-kind book. And Lord, as we go forth in this place, we pray that, that you would enable us to offer you our full selves. Lord, this new week, we pray that we could offer you our minds and our hearts and our, and the, our best strength. We, um, we offer the, the financial offerings that we've, we've given, Lord. We pray that you'll take these now, you'll bless them, use them for your purposes right here in Shoreview and around the world. And again, we offer our full selves to your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.